can do the can do the welcome <laughs> right to the knife journal podcast <laughs> So, uh, we're here doing a podcast in the middle of freaking nowhere, French Farm Lake, winter campout. Uh, we've got, somewhere, we're having a good time. Yeah, we've got a bunch of people. Uh, we just had a big snowstorm and we're all sitting inside of a teepee with a wood stove. So you might, if I don't keep this away from the wood stove, you might actually hear the wood stove a little bit cooking. Um, let's see, I want to make sure my levels don't get too loud here. <coughs> All right, so um, you may hear my water boiling. So what's what's new with you there? Me? Yeah. Ah, we're just having a grand old time out here. We have a we came out there last year. I think we have more, we have more people than we had last year. Yes. One. One more, Dave. No, oh, Kim two was more. Here. Kim. Kim was here yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. We had Chris and John. Yeah, where the hell are they? They're working. Slap them in the head. So, uh, yeah, so we came out here last year and started doing this. End of February camp out. It's a great spot. We uh, carry as much stuff as we feel like carrying, and nobody's judging. <laughs> Except for me, because I packed all my shit. He in packed my all his shit. <laughs> I'm and, judging uh, everyone. Yeah, and, yeah, yet yeah, as he's sitting in our sweat. tent. Yeah, as he's sitting in our tent with, it, with our wood yeah. stove, yeah. warming his ass, yeah, cooking exactly. his food. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I didn't say I was perfect. I just said I was judging you. <laughs> but uh, but it's a it's a great spot. Uh, if you felt like ice fishing, you could ice fish. If you felt like hiking around and looking at the giant wolf tracks or something, whatever it was that we found. Uh, I think it's a ger- uh, German Shepherd or a... It's got to be a, a big-ass German Shepherd. It's a wolf. I yeah, you. it's okay. a wolf. And what else? It was 20 below zero last yep. night? That's right, 20 below. Right. 20 below zero last night. Actual Actually, temperature 12. To, yeah. Yeah. Or 20 below. Yeah, right. Wind Depends on who's, well, the that, wind, who's, who you believe. Windshield yeah. makes it negative 20. Yep. yep. Corey's butt was cold, so it must have been at oh. least negative 20. How do you know that? He told, he told me. <laughs> he, he definitely told me. Because we had that conversation earlier. He was trying to sleep on his fo- side, so he would not snore like Gene and, da- and Dave. I resemble that remark. Yes. <laughs> so that was, how, that was how that all worked out. We said, don't worry about it. Let your ass get warm and... Sleep on your back. It's not going to bother anybody because I take my hearing aids out, and I don't hear anybody. Obviously, <laughs> you hear yourself. That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, in the in the teepee with us, uh, we'll start with my left here. Introduce and say hi. Dave McIntyre. Hi. <laughs> Any? What do you think so far? I think I, I'm very inexperienced in winter camping in Michigan. That's what I think. <laughs> and I'm I'm definitely at the bottom of the learn, learning curve here. Listen, to be honest. Right now, you've probably done more winter camping than most of the people in Michigan. I bet you yeah. 85 yeah. or 90% of the people in Michigan have never slept outside in the snow. So consider yourself an expert. Well, there you go. Then I'm an expert in winter camping. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And everybody knows who Jim is. So introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Jim Colgan. Uh, my second year here and having a blast. Awesome. Introduce yourself. Oh, uh, Corey Leeper. Again, second year, enjoying myself. Grand old time. Yep. Ass is a lot warmer tonight. <laughs> there you go. Gene Boyd, this is my second year at this location. Third year doing Practice What You Preach in northern Michigan. Yeah, that's right. And about 15, 18 years of hanging around with Jim Nauka yeah. at uh, Practice What You Preach, doing which we year. subtitled... How to survive in the wilderness on only six thousand calories a day. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you remember? Uh, and and actually, we did winter camping. Uh, when, what the hell year was that? Must have been two thousand, two thousand five. When did we go to Penny Bridge? I don't know. Stephen, Stephen, my youngest boy was probably eleven, maybe ten years old. That's when we brought him out there, somewhere right? in there? Yeah. And he's like 29 now. Okay, 20. 
So 19 years, years, 20 19, years, 20 years, something like that. Uh, and we did it. In you a, had more hair back then. I, I did have more hair back then, actually. Like two hairs instead of zero. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was uh, that was in a three-sided. That was in a three-sided. Uh, yeah, that was my old uh, yeah. ventile tarp tent. tent. Yep. And uh, with a with a fire, we had a lot of snow, and that was uh, any of. If anybody has winter camp before, a lot of times if you have more snow, you can make a better shelter because uh, you can use a lot of the snow to protect yourself. And we had a we used a, the old-fashioned reflector fire and and uh, and a three-sided tent, you know, because that was what uh, what's his name Nussmuck would have done. <laughs> that was fun, actually. I mean, and my kids still talk about it. My my older boy went the next year. And they they still talk about that about and it was cold. I mean, it yeah. literally was twenty below zero. Well, you made a bed on top of you made a bench out of snow. Yeah, and slept on slept it. on it. Yeah, it was that was something. It was uh, back in my younger days when I was not so broke up, but but it was fun. I mean, we had a good time. Eight and and if you haven't done this, if you've never done this before, doesn't matter what kind of food you bring. But it's always the best you'll ever eat. I mean, <laughs> guarantee sure. you, it's the best food you'll ever eat. If it's if it's anywhere below freezing, and you're eating, doesn't matter what it is, it'll be the best you've ever had. I have to say, I had the best uh, scrambled egg sandwich and bacon ever yeah, <laughs> this morning. Elk steak last night, that was great. Yeah, yeah. the pizza roll thing. That okay, was okay. Yeah, we ha- we need to talk <laughs> about this new invention, and I'm going to uh, turn it over to the inventor. So. Uh, tell us about the pizza roll. Oh, the pizza roll. Uh, well, I'm going to trademark it, even though I found it online, but I, I'm just doing that because you can do uh, that. Originality, originality <laughs> yeah. is the art of exactly. concealing your source. So, uh, I spell pizza roll with an E at the end of it, so I can trademark it. It's not. <laughs> so, you know, I just it's a frozen pizza dough. And just roll it out and just whatever pizza toppings you want to put in it. So it's basically just a giant, I guess, calzone. Oh, that's I can't trademark that. But um, <laughs> then you, yeah, I know, unless the editor's got an E on it. And then you uh, olive oil one side, Italian seasoning, flip it, Italian or olive oil Italian, and then just a shit ton of aluminum foil around it. And then you throw it in the fire. On uh, you freeze it. Red first, it well, yeah, right? sorry, you freeze it first. And then you can just, you know, chill your cooler with it. And then once it's at the campsite, you kind of look for black reddish coals, and it's supposed to be 10 minutes per side, up to 40 minutes. And I was usually just pulling it out and just tap checking it. That's you use your bare fingers, so man up. Um, <laughs> and if it feels kind of hard but squishy at the same time, it should hopefully be done. We're talking about so, a pizza roll, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With an E. With an E. What, what did you pack it with? The cal- the ab- so you got a pizza dough ball, yep. rolled it out, put toppings in it, rolled it up. What did you, yep. what toppings? Oh, we did just you use? we had sauce, cheese, uh, pepperoni, and ham. Nice. So you know you could probably put one of those right on the top of that. Thing. Oh yeah, that would cook. Yeah. Cook, no it problem. would probably cook. Yeah. And it was delicious. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. it looked really good. It, it looked really good. That was a that was a big deal. Yeah. Looking at this uh, wood stove right now, Kyle's got a titanium wood stove in that's inside of a Kifaru tent, and I think the stove was made by them also. Yeah, it is. It's the Arctic Kifaru and Arctic stove. It's cherry red on all four sides, and it's now 90 degrees in here, and it's stripping <laughs> again. Yeah, and everybody's sweating. And as soon as this pine burns down, it'll be back to you know 12 degrees in here. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually really makes um. Hot tenting it is a really nice way if you're not quite uh, bold enough to sleep in a snowbank. They call this hot tenting. And what you do is you end up with a, you get yourself a bag that's good for minus whatever, um, a very good sleeping bags or a very good sleeping system. And you have a, a wood stove that you don't, you're not supposed to camp around it like we are right now, but you build a fire, get undressed, get in your sleeping bag, you know, the tent will warm up to be, like, it's like 90 degrees it's in here right now, it's degrees. breaking a sweat, yeah, yeah. and uh, get undressed, get in your bag, the fire will go out, 
but have your stuff ready to make a fire in the morning when you get up. That's where we had epic failure here this morning because um, <laughs> nobody wanted to build a fire. And uh, and then you basically you build a fire and then get dressed in the morning. And and so you really don't feel a lot of the blasting cold, cold unless you are getting up in the middle of the night taking a leak. Um, if you drink too much coffee, then that tends to happen. But you just learn to deal with it. Well, and then, like today, we're on this lake, and there's, uh, you know, I'd say 15, 20 mile an yeah. hour wind steady yeah. blowing off the lake into the camp here. Well, you get inside the teepee, and it's 20 degrees warmer, and there's right. no without wind. Without a fire. Without a, without fire. a fire. And then if you add the fire, then it's, like, yeah. toasty warm in here. So I mean, seriously, if you... It's kind of like a sweat lodge right now without the, without the steam. I yeah. will, uh, yeah. I'm gonna take a picture of the of the stove and put it stove. on your Instagram there. Oh, it's gonna wreck yeah. it with the flash. No there. flash. Yeah, gotta do it without the flash. But um, yeah. So uh, right now it's really hot, and about five minutes can be you know back to cool. I'm in a. I mean, literally, here. that thing is glowing cherry red. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, if you if you do that, it makes for a, a very comfortable uh, winter camp winter camping experience, and and you shouldn't be afraid of it if you have that. Uh, Hand me my phone. Would you have you? this available? It's unplugged. And it's you don't have to do it now. as you don't have to do it like this. Yeah. I mean, this is a very expensive tent setup. You can do these a lot less money mm -hmm. and be quite comfortable. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could go all the way back to like an old. Uh, canvas Hillary tent and put a stove jack in it yep. and be very successful at uh, and we're all going to post a picture <laughs> yeah well when I cool when I bought this my grand scheme was to um, take the family across the country and do a uh, like cross country car trip but mm -hmm. it didn't quite turn out that way um but it's it's now we've you, we used it at PWIP. I've used it a couple other times, and then obviously this weekend it's a lifesaver. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I have a small version of this tent, and it's supposed to be a four-man tent, but you have to be like four very close friends, like yeah. like butt to nut close friends, and uh, it even gets crowded with two people and a lot of stuff. Uh, like right, I'm taking my, I'm sweating. Like, yeah. That thing's hooligan right now. Um, but it's it's a four man, it's a Kifru four man, and my my stove is one third the size of this one. And yet my tent gets this hot too. Yeah. I mean when it's when it gets cherry red like that, it gets hot like that in here in mine. So this isn't gonna last. No, no. no, I hope I hope it doesn't. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Two kinds, two kinds of wood it's here. It's approaching three figures right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got very seasoned pine and something else that doesn't want to burn at all. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I just had to take my T-shirt off. It is cold <laughs> or hot, but hopefully it it'll uh, calm down a bit here. But the um, uh, I mean that's that is truly the I mean, it makes things comfortable, and if you so if you've got a little bit squeamish about about going out and spending some time when it's really cold, it can be done in a very enjoyable way. You know, and you can cook on a fire outside if you want to. You can cook, you know, uh, if you ch choose to just use the stove to heat up water um, and use freeze dried foods, you, you'll have an enjoyable time. Yeah, because those mountain house meals are. Uh, are really quite good. I mean, last night, uh, this is Lent, so I'm uh, not supposed to eat meat on Fridays, so I had, like, tomato, some kind of tomato soup with pasta, and I Bunny loaded it. pasta. Yeah, Bunny. I loaded it up. Funny-shaped <laughs> pasta, and then I loaded it up with uh, with with more pasta. Yeah. And, just, and it was like a, uh, like a spaghetti sauce thing, and it was quite tasty. I'm trying to close this top here, man, so I'm not moving. Yeah, it's they're probably warped a little bit What's because that? of the heat. Not closing down. Jesus, <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> Open up the zipper. <laughs> now I'm going to stand over here. So the audio is going to change a little bit. I apologize. Um, 
but I can't take it. I'm, I'm hot-blooded by nature. I won't. Um, so a little bit of heat that goes a long ways with me, especially. So so here's the other thing. The reason this I get real reactive to heat is that my house is kept at 62 yeah. in the winter, and you. The first few weeks you're cold, but then your thyroid gland adjusts, and anything much hotter than 62, and I feel hot. Yep. And, you know, so so this is like killing me. <laughs> but it'll cool off here. So that's right. I'm putting snow on my balls right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't right. look. Yeah, right. Okay, so uh, um, what else what, should we talk what, yeah, about? Yeah, what 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 did everybody bring? Yeah, knife wise. Well, even yeah, knife wise or or, or camp wise. Yeah, what, 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 is, what are you for, rocking for a setup? Yeah, for my setup, I guess I call it a a little more modern setup. Um, I've got a, a little buddy heater in my tent, <laughs> and uh, yeah, a little bit. Whatever they call it, whatever they call it, it works. It warms me up. I love it. But Do, does it uh, is it warm? I mean, is it? Oh, it's not it's warm. incredible. Is it, does it have a smell to it? Oh, no, not at all. No, it's propane. So I brought a little 11-pound propane tank. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, a little little buddy heater, and I, it's got two settings. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, I think 4,000 and 9,000 BTU. Did you have your heater, your tent this hot? Yeah, uh, I could get it this hot. Well, maybe not this hot. <laughs> <laughs> if I was right in front of it, maybe. But um, this is hot. <laughs> Um, imagine a coal forge right in front of your face. This I mean, is I what cannot, we're doing right now. I can't now. get over how hot this yep. thing is. Um, but it's, uh, th- that heater works really well. They've got, uh, they're very safe, so there's no issue with, uh, asphyxiating yourself. Do those have CO detectors or CO shutoffs on them? Mm-hmm. Yep, they do. All oxygen shutoffs. Yep, and I also, I'm trying a new bag. It's a Big Agnes Out Park minus 20 degree bag, um, that I tried for the first time last night, uh, which is a little bit risky. Uh, normally you like to try gear. Especially at 20 you know. below. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but it worked out really well. A real roomy, real comfortable bag. Um, and actually, uh, I like uh, Jim was saying, before I went to bed, I turned the heater on, just got all my stuff done, and then I turned it down. And uh, I, I woke up about three, four in the morning, and it was you know just ambient temperature outside, inside my tent, and the bag was keeping me warm. Um, so I was pretty pretty happy with that. So did you ever? I did a test on sleeping bags about 20 years ago where I actually had, like, portable thermometers, meat thermometers, and I brought them outside and put them in the bag with me, and basically was over long periods of time we were checking the monitoring, what the temperature inside the bag was. Versus outside? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was kind of funny because it... it, when you have a big good bag, people don't realize how warm they can stay inside. Oh, I mean, yeah. 90 degrees, you're unzipping oh, yeah. before too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I dug out a, um, I was laying in the snow on top of, the only thing was the same with all the bags was I had a thermal rust pad. I was laying on the ground and, uh, I got in, I took my boots off and got into the bag, zipped it up and put the probes in. And I, most of the bags I was testing, the the temperature in the bag never went below 80 degrees. Well, and that's where last night I actually had this. I've got a Sunto Core wash, yeah. and it's got a, a temperature sensor on it. And it's a little bit affected by body heat, but it, it was in the bag with me. And I looked at it, and it was it was right, right around 80 degrees, 81, yeah. I believe. And I actually took it off, and I put it on the, um, the this thing I have next to my bed. And uh, I woke up a couple of hours later, and it was 15, so... Uh, that tells you the differential yeah. you can have there. So you have like nice. a hotel room in your tent. I basically do. Nightstand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like on Harry Potter when they look in those tents and it's like it looks like a teeny tiny little tent, but then on the inside it's got <laughs> it's very spacious. He's yeah. got like yeah. he's got like carpets and like hookahs and all this shit all over the place. He's it's got a women oh, yeah. running around in there. I think the yeah. This is the first time I used a it's a Kodiak canvas, a nine foot by eight foot tent and it's breathing really well i had no condensation in the morning which is great um and that's kind of unusual with a with a uh lp yes yep. uh, heater because typically they'll they will make condensation on a tent yeah so I, I was real happy with his performance so you know i did have to haul in two jet sleds to to get that done so uh, i did, <laughs> okay. could not put that's that on my back that's okay <laughs> But it worked out good. It, uh, I, it's manageable. I was, I was showing off canvas bags, and I brought seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I'm not talking about a bag the size of a purse. It's a bag that, that would no, fill your trunk. Like yes. canoe. Uh, I brought a, a 
a number two canoe pack by Duluth Pack. And then I think I bought the whole range of Frost River packs from the small... Fucking dying over here. Lay down on the lay down on the floor. If you lay down on the floor, you'll be fine. Yeah, I don't. Forehead is sweating. I'm just dying of sleep right now. But but I think I brought the whole range of bags that Frost River makes. All of their quote unquote bushcraft bags, Um, and they have like five of them that are, and four of them that I that I brought that are various sizes. And uh, uh, surpri- but they're surprisingly heavy. I mean, I don't see anybody walking very far from their car. Uh, I use them for day pack. Right, and packs. that would be about it. Day uh, pack, day pack, and it would be it would be probably about the about the extent of it. But never mind that. Snow bank. Yeah. Um, Corey, what did you bring? Okay. Well, I only had one jet sled. <laughs> but uh, I have a Eureka uh, K2. I apologize. Approximately one half hour of material is missing at this point. It's probably because it was too cold. Uh, so we will resume after the missing segment. safer because it's not the 710 is not going to open up the access lock is not going to open up in your pocket um well what do you got there gene let's see this came from the benchmade's custom shop you can uh, go online and go to the custom shop and uh, put together a knife with the style of blade the grind that you want the steel that you want handle color and shape or this is a mini what do they call this? Mini Griptilian? Mini Griptilian or... Yep. Yeah, something and it's like got that. And it's got a uh, spidey hole in it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, 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 I hate studs. That's you know, the not you guys, but I hate the... I would prefer the hole. Okay. Very cool. But it opens very nicely, very positive. Yep. Okay, so... That's a... That is a nice looking knife, and I'm sure it's jean sharp. It is because there is there is uh, there's a level of sharpness that is very um, it's not very often attained, <laughs> and it, you will never buy a knife from a factory that will have a sharpness that's called jean sharp. Yeah, yeah. jean sharp is the, the hair. His knives do not shave the hair on your arm. They they leave. They, they run evacuate. away in terror. They, they evacuate. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. Well, I I have. Uh, I don't sharpen all my knives that way. I have uh, I a level that I call. Yeah, I've handled most of your knives, Gene. Yeah, I don't believe you. I have a I have a level that I call working sharp, and then I have a level that I call scary sharp. Yeah, working sharp by your definition is when you buy a knife. Mm-hmm. That's working sharp. Yeah. Yep, yep. But his the level of sharpness is Gene sharp, and I'll tell you what, I'll guarantee you that there is nobody out there that makes a knife that sharp. That I've, makes a sharp a knife as sharp as Gene can I've make. I've only them. sharpened a few of them, sharp enough to shave the ridges off your fingerprints. Yeah, but that's but you've you that's kind of like huh? you split hairs with no, your I've knives. never split a hair. Actually, it's pretty easy to to split. Oh. If you just if, if you ever if you ever try it, um, don't try it with a red hair. <laughs> Jesus <Those> Christ! Are, <laughs> right out of the blue. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> those are, those are no, too, there's a little warning. No, just went there. We used to call it RCH. <laughs> <laughs> those are a little bit too fine. But if you, but actually, if you like, you know, anybody that's got some hair on their head, typically you can pull one and you can you can actually. I know you can do it with your knives. I, and there's no question about it. A lot of knives that you get from the factory, you can actually do it with. 
but it takes a lot of I don't a lot know. Of my skill. eyes are good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's funny. I was um, I knew a guy Chuck Carwan that did uh, he sharpened a tin can lid I've sharp enough that. to to cut a um, uh, a hair. Yeah, and it was it was fun. I was laughing. I, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. I, I miss him. He was a good guy. Well, Chuck that, was a good that's, guy. That's you know staying on the knife theme. That's one of the things that <coughs> you hear people on the internet talking about this kind of steel is better than that kind of steel and yep. this grind and that grind and so forth and you got to be able to baton through a log and so on <laughs> but you know you know my my reference point is the fact that none of us would be here if our ancestors didn't survive using a broken rock <laughs> yeah you know so if a broken rock uh, enabled us to go from the Stone Age to what we've got today, then you ought to be able to get by with all kinds of steel, yeah, yeah. all sh- kinds of shapes of blade. And, and there's no, there's no question. When I say that he, uh, I shit you not, people, his knives are as sharp as anybody's I've ever. I mean, there's no co- custom knife makers do not sell knives that are that sharp. Because it, it'd take you four hours. Cause, yeah, because they edge. would never get it done. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, there's, there's, no there's one fella, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he, he does, but he doesn't do anything, and he does kitchen knives like that, which to me is kind of... Is this Ken Schwartz? Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he, I, th- I would be afraid to use a kitchen knife like that, because I would think the edge would roll really easy, especially if you're, if you're doing a lot of prep work on food. Um, but his knives get, th- get that sharp. I mean, but I don't know how much he uses them to actually cut stuff with it. Cause, but he's a big, you know, does the micro grits, uh, yeah. and the glass and uh, all that stuff. And he's real big into that. Um, you know, I use a 10 onion, uh, knife sharp. And I, or work sharp, I guess yeah. is what it's called. And I have had the best luck with it. And you get, you know, as much as I dull my knives up, uh, I've had the best luck using that unit. On the, on the knives that I use frequently, frequently, I have to give each of them a little bit of dirt time once in a while. Yeah. But um, I eventually achieve what I call optimization. For example, I had a um, Spyderco Calypso in ZDP 189. Mm-hmm. That's pretty hard stuff. Right. I thinned it out. Then I tried cutting paper with it. The edge flaked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be so, really careful because, so, because. Well, what I but what I did is I kept, I made it a little bit more obtuse, tried it again. I did it about five times before I finally got it, just enough convex that that the edge wouldn't flake, yeah. and then it was very robust. I could yeah. cut all kinds of stuff yeah. with it. Had a very strong, robust edge. And that's a lot of people do not understand the, that knife steel has different grain structures. And if you have a, a uh, an A2 blade and you have a ZDP blade, they're two completely different grain structures. And and if you get them a little bit, if you're trying to profile them exactly the same, yeah. they're, you're going to screw one of them up. I think there's one other fact. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, 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 I developed develop the theory that maybe uh, in production... Those edges are ground fast enough that you're heating the edge oh, sure. a little bit. Yeah. And so that maybe as I'm working it back and getting away from that factory grind edge, you're getting back into the, the true uh, toughness and, and uh, durability of the steel. Well, I know, I know when, you're, when you're making knives, if you're grinding them by hand, typically you can't get them hot enough, if you're doing it right, to, to, do, to change it much. Um, because you're because basically you're supposed to you you grind and you when your fingers feel it warm you dunk it in water or whatever you got next to you, you typically it's water so you're trying to finish it without changing the you know changing the heat treat that much and uh, but the minute I tell you the minute you stay too long in one spot and it turns red you've screwed up the blade I think heat treat is something that gets overlooked right. I mean you see an awful lot of Knives advertised, they don't even mention the heat treat. Right. And then if you do, if they if they do mention it, I'm not sure they're always telling the truth. Right. They might be saying what they think you think right. it well, ought to be. Well, if you look at what if you look at what uh, every factory does now, every factory made knife, they they do give you a Rockwell hardness, 
But it's a range. It's not. It's not. Yeah. A, this is a 58, or this right. is a 59, or this is a 60. Unless it's, it's a, a Dozier, from, it's 60.5. From, from 57 to <laughs> 60, or 57 to 59. Oh, yeah, it's because, 57 well, to 59. It's because of the the RC testers have a range of error. Minus, right, exactly. Minus so so they don't know what it is. Like I mean, that, it could be 57 yeah. to 59. I had a knife one time for shits and giggles. I and I had skinned a lot of knives, a lot of not a lot of knives. I had skinned a lot of deer with this knife, but I was always sharpening it. And uh, and it was a it was an old marbles ideal, probably from the thirties, I think is what we figured it was. And uh, for shits and giggles, I took it over to Tim Zawadas and we, we RC checked it all over the blade and stuff. And it was it was everywhere from like thirty eight to fifty eight. And it wasn't fifty eight on the edge. Well, yeah, but let me tell you I'll tell you something that I actually witnessed on a tour of a knife factory. They were making I was looking at the um, uh, pocket knives that they were making and the process that they were using for making them. And there was a portion in the manufacturing process where they were annealing the the uh, tang yep. of the of the blade so that it wouldn't be right. uh, brittle right. at the hinge point. Yep. Yep. And so they, they, they clipped the knives onto this uh, circular thing that went through uh, something that uh, hit it with a radio frequency right. to heat it up. The induction coil. Yeah. Induction coil. And and, and so they were continually feeding these in. It was going through the induction coil, coming over, and then they were dropping off into a box. Right. All of them, one on top of the other. And so there you got a hot tang laying across the center of the blade of a finished blade. Yeah. And... um, I had them test my my knife because you get through a place, but they'd already done the hardness test on them. Yeah. Then they put them through that process. Right, right. They've been hardened. Well, now they put them through like, that process and drop a hot tang on anywhere on the blade. It's random, yeah. you know. And I had them test mine, and it came out at like 40s, mid or low 40s yeah. on the Rockwell scale. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be higher than that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, and, 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 I and think that's that there's why. A, I think that there's a um, when you get into production deals like that, things, I mean, it was like the, um, if you ever talked to a World War II vet uh, and and guys that were actually using their knives, whether they were in the jungle, whether whatever they were doing it with, they would always sharpen their knives. They would always take care of them as part of their, it was part of their deal because they had a lot of time on their hands anyways. Because they marched from one place to another and then fought and marched to another place and then another place and another place. So in between, when they would stop, they would do things like sharpen their knives and stuff. Well, if you talk to ten vets that had K-bars or some form of a K-bar, they'll tell you, I really like, they all really like their knife. But some of them will say, yeah, it would, wouldn't hold an edge very well or it would... Uh, it would hold an edge really well, but it was a bitch to sharpen, or a, or some variant of yeah. that. There, there were all different stories about whether, you know, and uh, so I was curious about that, and you looked into the way they heat-treated blades back then, and it was batch batch heat-treating. Mm-hmm. So they would drop them all in, you know, and, they'd, and, the, and the first ones out were the first ones in, so they were a different temperature than the last ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like one of those things where just in their process there was a wide enough gap. Statistical variable. That, yeah, that they, you couldn't, you know, they just, that was the way that he treated blades back then. And so, and nobody really cared that much. No. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, you either got a knife that you that you liked because it held an edge, or you got a knife that was really easy to sharpen. Well, you know, it was it just depended on what you know. And if you were if you if somebody had one that was easy to sharpen that they'd rather, uh, you know, and they would trade back and forth with you know. Well, mine is freaking a bitch to sharpen, but it holds the edge for a long time, you know. And it's funny because you hear those guys talk about it, and they'll. They'll tell you, you know, was one of those. They're always the same. You know, it's never. You won't get a consistent story between uh, between vets, World War II vets. And I think that that was the way with all the marble knives. I think that was the way with all the. Well, uh, it was a, it was more of a utility. I mean, today yeah. look, look at the money. Well, and and they sharpened their knives. Yeah. They knew what what it was doing. You know, yeah. most guys today don't even. They buy a knife, and you know, most guys will take their hunting knife out, you know, November fourteenth, and put it in their bag when they're going to their spot and they they take it out of their out of their pack when if they shoot a deer they take it out of their pack and then they bitch about it being dull or rusty i took this knife out and it was rusty (laughs) i hadn't seen it since last year this time (laughs) you know so it's so it is kind of funny i mean it's it is interesting how far we've come 
um, in that process and how, how picky a lot of people are about, you know, well, it's got to be a Rockwell 58. Well, yeah, it doesn't really. You know, it's got to be, you know, is 57 okay? Is when is When is it not too... I know when you get to 62, it's no good. You know, I know that that's uh, that that stuff is uh, too brittle. But it is an interesting interesting thing that goes on. And unless you're sharpening it, you don't know the difference. So, so all you S30V guys that put them you know, in your drawer, you have no I idea think, what the hell that is. I think that's <laughs> one of the reasons I got into uh, sharpening knives so obsessively because... Uh, it, you don't I learned, have OCD I, or anything. We'll jump right by that one. Of course not. Um, that's for that, you know. You, you learn an awful lot about a knife by sharpening mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's true. And then using it and then sharpening it again. And, mm-hmm. You know, you learn what it can do and what it can't do and what it does better. And I used to, when I first started sharpening knives... I would buying the systems like the Apex Edge Pro or whatever. Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, and, and it was okay, but ultimately I ended up now where I just use water stones and then stroping, right? And what you end up with is you don't get that perfect angled V edge. You end up ultimately with some sort of a right. convex edge because you I'm can't keep you it perfect. Secret. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're moving a knife edge along a flat surface and then, mm-hmm. and, and then trying to get around the curve, mm-hmm. it's really hard to keep exactly the same angle. And if you're yep. using the jigs where the the stone has a pivot point and it's going along the edge, yeah, can't follow it, if you do the math, yeah. the angle is changing all yep. the way. Okay, yep. But if you, hold the, if you do this by hand, you hold the knife edge up and, and you take your stone, I like those little triangular... Um, Dog yeah. bone sharpeners okay. for just a rough field sharpening or tuning it up. Yeah. Hold the edge um, edge up and and put that flat on there. And then as you move along there, you're going at the same angle. And when you get to the curve, your wrist rotates. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So and it's going to roughly rotate with the angle of the curve of the knife. Yeah. The key to doing that, though, is you have to learn to do this ambidextrously because yeah, you yeah, if yeah. you turn it, you know, so if you'd have to switch it and put the knife in your right hand and then use the stone in your. But if you practice doing that, you'll get a more a more uniform edge. Unless the edge is uniform, it's going to be sharp in one area and duller in another area. Well, I got I I just have. You know, my stones and the four strope right on the table. And I learned how to do this uh, watching Virtual Vice. Oh, that on, Japanese uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and again, I just, you know, I, I screwed up a bunch of edges before I got it. And I'm not perfect, but it works for me. If I get uh, a blade with a lot of edge damage where I just want to start, say, at like a 600 grit or something, um, I start there and I just work my way down. And I just go one way, flip the blade over, and go one way. And, and you you, you got to get it just right but i found that i I was so trying to get that v edge before but now that i've i don't really care anymore and i I end up with whatever flavor of convex it puts on there it works out okay when you when you're working out when you're sharpening up near the point of the blade yep it's really easy to round the blade off it is yeah well the the cure for that is to turn the blade until uh, the direction of mo- mm-hmm. think of a tangent to the angle at the point, yep. the tangent to the curve at the point. You want that to be perpendicular to the direction of motion. Yep. So, so tip the knife up so you're not until, into it. until you have that tangent perpendicular to your stone, and then move it right straight across. And and if you if you do that, you do the point first, and then you work your way down around the curve a little bit at a time. And uh, and then you can kind of smooth it out by by uh, by hand, you know, yep. by a rough approximation. But if you if you if you're real careful at the point of, of using that tangent and being very careful to pull it straight, then you'll avoid uh, rounding that edge, uh, rounding the point off. Yep. Well, one of these days I'm going to sell all my stones and get a KMG. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you don't have one, 30 seconds yeah. later, yeah. I'm surprised you don't have a Birking. I'd love to. I just haven't found the right deal on one. I'm kind of cheap. Uh, $3,100? Yeah, yeah. I can't. I don't, I don't do it enough to justify it, and it's not like I'll ever. Oh, you would. Well, yeah. I, I would never try to make money with it. It's just a convenience thing for me. Um, 
But I'll find a deal on one someday. Uh, one of these days, I'll hop on a forum, and somebody will be fire sailing a KMG or something, and I'll snatch it up. Actually, the the uh, that that Ken Onion thing actually works pretty well. Yeah, I've seen those. It's just, and they yeah, they work sharpener. Yeah, basically. and they they make a nice convex edge, and uh, and they're quick. You and if you don't have a lot of time to be screwing around with. Uh, um, with doing them by hand, I mean, you put a working edge on a knife very, very yeah. quickly. Well, the, the, I do that. I have a little Harbor Freight belt. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. One by 30. Same thing. Yep. And uh, I had all my axes and machetes and whatever. You get a leather belt for those. Yeah. 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 Those things are great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Load it up and, uh, and make it go away. I've yeah. been too nervous to put any of my nicer knives on the, on that uh, the Harbor Freight, though. Well, so. you got to strip all the guards off it. Yeah, oh, I then, did. Then yeah. you won't feel afraid. Strip all the guards off and stick it in the vice sideways. Well, right now, mine starts with a hammer, so um, <laughs> well, that's right. i, I got to figure that one out. But, <laughs> but they're only $38. Oh, they're so cheap, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They used to be 49 And you can actually, yeah. if you can find a Delta one in yard sales, typically you can find some of those in yard sales, too, yep. for like 5 bucks. <laughs> I've yeah. gotten a couple of them that way, too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fun. I remember back in the day of early knife forums, there were guys that were making knives with those, with yeah, those Delta 30-inch grinders, belt grinders. They were buying uh, grit, uh, uh, belts, to, and they were grinding knives on those. Yep. I mean, they weren't doing a lot of them, but they were doing them. I, I started with a Kalamazoo 1x30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1x30, 1x40. 1x30. 1x42. Or whatever it was, the Kalamazoo grinder. Yeah. I started with one of those, and now I don't use it. <laughs> is that a Craftsman 2 by 42 yeah. that I started on, and that worked fine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just go slow. Yep. Yeah. That's the whole key. So, you gotta go slow. Yeah. Big news of last week, if you ignore just straight up politics, is the uh, school shooting. Yeah, mm-hmm. you want to go into that or no? You can. I mean, it's it's a tragedy that it yeah. happened, and I mean, I I had made some posts on Facebook about that stuff, and you know, it's I mean, I of course all of the all of everybody on the conservative side basically is defending guns, and everybody on the other side is is anti guns, and they. The, the the antis and I get the I get the conservative side why they're defending the way they are it's it's you know it's our, our rights to do that and the opposite side is always falls to that same it's it's the guns it's the guns fault it's this you know and it and I think inherently the problem is that the left has screwed us up so bad that you know we can't raise our kids properly anymore. I mean, this is a, something that's only happened like in the last 30 years. Yeah. This consistent. So I, I, I mean, it's happened I prior to that. The, I looked up the stats. Yeah, so it's, in it's, the in the 1950s and 60s, there was I, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's just say it was 12 shootings uh, during during the 1950s and 12 during the 1960s. Yeah. School shootings we're talking about, yeah. and they excluded things. They excluded some things where obviously it wasn't necessarily like an actual school shooting. You got to the 1970s, uh, it was like 30. Then you got to the 1980s, and it was like 60. But these weren't and mass 90s shootings. Was these were typically one person shooting another person on yeah, school grounds, Yeah, and then right? in the 1990s, it like doubled the 80s, and the in the 2000s, it was about the same as the 1990s, but from 2010 on... Um, so so far, we're like more than double what it was yeah. in the previous two decades. Yeah, and I and I yeah. think and I I believe that this is this is reaping what we sow. Um, I think that this has a lot to do with uh, um, the notion that it takes a village. I'm a firm believer in that. That we destroyed uh, 
destroyed our families. And, and when I say we, I don't mean my family or your family or your family. Typically it's, but in general, um, there's been an assault on the families and family values and make, and making a mom and dad as, and kids as a family, not, um, you know, Joey has two moms or, or, uh, you know, any of those well, kinds of things. Honestly, in the school shooters case, it's Joey has one mom and no dad. Right. Well, and, and Joey's stepmom died, uh, or adopted mom died three months ago. But regardless, I mean, it's, there, there is, uh, there's something, and it, and I think that this feeds on itself. Um, there's another factor that involves psychiatry. You did some studies looking at how many school shootings were. Did you look to correlate those with the uh, prescriptions for psychotropic drugs right. for for school well, kids? It's, it's I didn't, but it's certainly during that time period. Uh, even when I was a kid, in, I, I was in grade school in the early 1980s, and there were a few kids on Ritalin, and then in the, then all of a sudden, like, everybody was on it. Like, yeah. Well, if you notice, the last, let's say, 10 school shootings that happen, or, or mass shootings. I won't even say school shootings because it's mass shootings. If you look at the eyes on the, um, remember, we, I think we were talking about this last year. You go, if you look at the sex offender list and you look at the pictures that are on the MSU or MSP sex offender site, all those guys that, are, that have their pictures taken have a silly smirk on their face. I don't know what it is, but there is something that goes on there. And, and if you don't don't believe me, go and check at it. Look at uh, Michigan State Police. Look at the sex offender list, and and look at all of the people that are on there. Generally speaking, you will see some silly smirk on their face, and it's the only place that you see it in in uh, mug shots. You don't see it anywhere else. If you look at the mug shots for these guys that were doing these mass shootings, they all have what I call crazy eyes. Like deer in the headlights look. They have a really weird look in their face, and and I don't know what the what the reasoning behind that is, but it's got to be so, something because it's in, I'd say like eighty percent of them have that. It's it's a, it's just a weird look that they have, and if you look at the Sandy Hook kid, the the kid that shot up the um, the the uh, theater, he has it. I mean, most all of them have it. Well, and, then and so, I, so I'm thinking that there is some kind of psychological thing that's going on, whether it's the drugs that they've been on that they are off now, or, or something. Or, well, and some people are saying that it's the drugs causing it. Yeah, I know, but that it, it may be some of that. But the other thing that's happened uh, since the 1990s on is uh, these things get like weeks of coverage. Yeah. You know, so you get these kids that like, well, I'm. Uh, involuntary celibate or incel i'm never going to have a girlfriend like blah 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 i'm probably never going to be successful but i can be famous hmm. you know and they're well, going to yeah, but even the famous where does that come from from facebook and from instagram and from well Snapchat and... uh we, we didn't have that during the columbine shootings and so a lot of these guys are like well, yeah, idolizing true. like the columbine people because they were everybody talked about that yeah. and we're still talking about that 20 years later yeah you know and and uh you watch. The other thing that's weird, if you if you watch this pattern, it doesn't always hold, but it's when spring comes. So like right about now through like April May. It's mating time. Well, whatever it is, but during that time, <laughs> sap is rising. During yeah. that time, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff like this happen. It's all, it's almost every year. Well, didn't you remember? It? I mean, springtime on campus, it was all the rapes were in the spring. I mean that's you know most of the most of the physical rapes happen during the spring. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about that, but I, I do know if, well, if you watch like it, it was like in April the Columbine <laughs> thing, and it's like every every year you're going to see two or three of these things happen within a few weeks of each other. Watch, there'll be another one in a little bit here. But literally, this was not something that happened 30 years ago, and it has nothing to do with the guns, because we've had guns for 200 years. You know, I mean, we have had we have had mass killings. There was a school bombing around the, in Michigan. There, there was a school Michigan. bombing. Yeah. Where was it? Afton? Bath. Bath. 
Yeah. Was it 20s? The 29? Yeah, in 20, the 20, yeah. during the Depression era. Yeah, yeah. and it was, a, and it was an adult that did it. It's like a yeah. wagon load of dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and stuffed it under the school and blew it yeah. up. Took it with a mule, I'm sure. Once it was like 68, wasn't it? What's that? It was about 68. Yeah, there was a lot of people. Like, well, you were in high school then. Yep, that yeah. was my that was <laughs> my next the town. We played him in football. <laughs> we didn't have a football game the next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but I but I do think that that there is there's a there's a um a societal change that happened during that period of time. And from the you can from the 70s say, onward. Yeah, you can say yeah. it's like the last 30, 40 years. And um, and there's been an assault on manhood. There's been assault on, uh, I mean, and maybe it's the brew that we were talking about earlier that it was. Uh, mm, that's a that's a two thousands and onward thing. <laughs> and I, I think it's I think it's more the destruction of the nuclear family. Yeah, and religion. I think that that has a big deal too. Yeah, the, a higher starting, power of any kind. Starting in the late '60s and early '70s. There That's was, when there it was like you can't judge me like right. there's no right or wrong you know all cultures right. are equal all this stuff right. and it it it's starting to have a cumulative effect because um, well the young skulls full of mush believe it yeah and so you know yeah I mean if you if you teach something in the schools for forty years sooner or later that's going to be what people think you know and I think we're there yeah and, and I don't know what how you reverse that. Effectively, you don't. Um, you have to teach people to think, but that's, that ship's already sailed. Yeah. So lessons, really. What's yeah. that? They have to learn all the lessons that drove us to be that way in the first yeah, place, I all suppose. over again, right? That's. You know, I suppose it'll, it'll come it, full circle. It is sad. I mean, it's it's. Uh, um, but I don't know. Well, the Roman Empire went this route. I mean, this is mimicking. That's the scary part that that makes me nuts. Is this mimics uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire? And if you look at what we're going through, it is very, very similar. Uh, the Roman Empire became very secular, um, very. Uh, they were always secular. Well, they were. They, but like they had Zeus gods. And, yeah, yeah, but they they still yeah. had gods. But they, there was a point in time when they became the, like the last three hundred years of it. Um, they became like Caligula times. Exactly. You exactly. remember those times? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a little before my time. Oh, okay. But seriously, it, but they, but they went through that, and then they then they completely collapsed. Yeah. You know because they uh, they conquered as much as they could conquer, and they had a system where they were allowed to become Roman citizens after a period of time. Yeah, but they didn't they didn't integrate. Right. So they were they were a multicultural society that eventually imploded because they couldn't keep their They had no center. Yeah. No. Right. And that's and uh, and what's going on now? I mean it's real similar to be to what's happening in America right now. We have uh, if we don't I think I think we're in a tailspin right now and if we don't pull out uh, it's going to be okay. So disastrous. So I have I have a note of hope. Um, Generation Z. So my kids, mm-hmm. right? They call them Generation Zyklon. Zyklon. <laughs> really? You know, yeah. So if you look anywhere online, they're Zyklon called Generation Zyklon. Like Zyklon B, the gas. They're oh, like sweet because they're so <laughs> fucking sick of all this political correctness. Yeah. So if if you play any kind of a video game online, uh. You're going to hear kids of that age just saying whatever the hell they want. Like, whereas, like, back, you know, back when I was that age or even now, like, I'm not going to say certain things, you know, I'm just not. But, and they, they absolutely hate political correctness. So they've done generational studies where who, who would elect who, right? Uh, the millennials would have elected, um, Hillary, uh, X kind of split. The boomers would have elected um, Trump, and then Generation Zyklon, Trump all the way. So, really? like at my kid's school, they they have Hat Day, and they have to be specifically told, "Please don't wear your Make America Great Again hats." <laughs> and they do it to, and they're doing it to troll the other kids yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. sick of all this snowflake shit. So, yeah. we went through a period like this in the '90s when I was in college. And then there was a huge backlash, and everybody's like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, like yeah. I don't care what your opinion of me is, and and we're at that tipping point where 
You can call me whatever the hell you want because every time you do it, you dilute the meaning of the word. You know, clearly, you know, I'm not what you're saying I am. You can say that as much as you want. And honestly, I don't care what your opinion is. Yeah. And millennials and, are drinking themselves into women. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, Generation Z uh, is is like that. And so I would say that, you know, they're they're far more. They're just not having any of this so, crap, and they're yeah. going to say it like it is. Would you guys? Are you guys are not millennials? Are you? No. You would not be considered no. millennials. So it's what thirty. 30 and under? I'm 36, so... You're a, you're right a millennial. Yeah. Uh, Xennial. Xennial. Yeah, yeah. So he's in between. But it, it, a lot of that is not just the age, it's the... Mm-hmm. It's who your parents were. Okay, so here's the other. Here's the, the yeah, other. Because my thing. millennial kids are not like millennials. My, well, yeah. I don't know. That's how you're it's because you're a boomer. Yeah, so they're, yeah. they're completely different. Right. Than their okay. They're socialists. <laughs> no, no. They're hardcore conservatives. Right. But so here's the deal. Right. There's a big misconception. Um, if you look online, people are blaming Generation X for the millennials. That's not accurate because generation. I didn't have kids until I was in my 30s. And, you know, and that's that's the thing. It's it's not the millennials are the kids from the second family of the boomers. Remember, they had a 50% divorce rate, yeah, that's, yeah, and higher, good point. and so and they got remarried and they had a whole other family. Yeah. The millennials are that second family, you know, and they're going to correct all the things they did wrong with the Xers, because yeah, yeah, we yeah. ended up being slackers and bastards and all this. So then they changed <laughs> all of the all of the you know way they ran school, like this all this problem based learning so shit this, was not there. So in this group, yeah. then Gene and I are the only boomers. Yeah. He's too young I was to be born in 65. And I'm an so early you're, you're an actor. I'm, young. I'm like the end of the baby boom and the beginning yeah. of Gen X. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 46. I'm 46. I'm 36. <laughs> but well, but anyway, that's 46. The thing yeah, is, so you were so you're like the beginning of the boomers yeah. and I'm the I was 59, so depends on what group you see. They say it's from 45 to 60. I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing I've observed that I think is responsible for a lot of the shifting in the politics, and that is shifting the center. Yeah. The arguments are between liberals and conservatives right. and Democrats and Republicans, but uh, progressives, by which I mean people who want a progressively larger government. Right. They never saw a government program they didn't like, never saw a problem that they didn't want the government to solve, right. Okay, even though that's not the government's business. So... Uh, they talk about liberal and conservative, and, and in the middle, that's the moderate. Right. That's a lie. Right. It's not a The people who are, first of all, conservative doesn't mean anything anymore. Liberal do, Liberal used to be a perfectly good word. Right. It meant you had a liberal education, a well-rounded, wide education. Does that describe liberals today? Mm-hmm. They're the most narrow-minded people I've seen in generations. Mm-hmm. So... To call a moderate somebody is between what they describe as a conservative and what they describe as a liberal, that's not the center. And what what I want to focus on when I'm on Facebook and somebody brings this stuff up is um, the Constitution of the United States of America, that is the political center. If you depart from that, you're the extremist. Right. Okay? So that's the center. Right. And the center of the Constitution is small government, small right. federal government right. that only has the powers that were enumerated as being granted to them. Mm-hmm. All other powers remain in the, with, states. in the states and with the people. So that's the center. But to hear the progressives talk, that's extreme right wing, right. Yeah. and yeah. we allow we allow them to get away with it by saying, "Yeah, we're conservatives," or we even admit to being right wing. Yep. That's insane. We're we're the center. Yeah. We're and so I like to describe myself as um, a moderate in the extreme center wing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Brandon, an extremist because you own a copy of the Constitution and understand it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. That's scary. Yeah, well, that is really yeah. frightening. But we need to fight back on that and, and demand to be recognized that if you stand on the Constitution, <coughs> you are a moderate. That yeah, should, that be, should be, be the center of political um, philosophy right. in the United States of America. Right. I'm all in. Yeah. Yay. I could go for that. All right. Any any parting shots? 
We're we're getting uh, we, we're we, almost two hours. Did here. we talk about the about the hops? We already did. <laughs> no, we, I don't think we did. I don't think we did on recording. I think that needs. To I be know out when there. I get back no, to my tent, did. I'm throwing all my beer away. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need. I think we need to really discuss that. No. What is the? What is the? Uh, I, you know, I I looked into it, and and hops has a, a, high, a very high idea. level of what is called phytoestrogens, or, or plants plant derived estrogens. Now, I'm not saying that that is contributing to the soy boy thing, but like. Everybody, the whole soy boy meme is that if you eat soy, you're getting estrogen in your diet and you're becoming feminized. I don't think it's that at, at, at all. You think it's the IPAs? You think no, it's I don't. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I, mean I think what it is is that our culture has has socialized these people to be that way. You know that, that what you're taught at, in your house is no longer embarrassing to be that way. Right. Well, and that's that's the the point is is that what you're taught in your house and school is going to have far more you still have a pair of balls yep. that produce testosterone. And well, how can you physically have? How can you? Fi- you said you did a. You saw a study yeah, about yeah. the. Yeah, that's true. The Buzzfeed. The writers. Buzzfeed guys were there. They had the testosterone level of an eight, of a ninety-year-old man. Hundred-year-old. Hundred-year-old man. man. Okay, yeah. so that means they were dead. That means they had zero testosterone. It was. How the it hell was does that happen by socialization? Uh, it, it may just be that they became Buzzfeed writers because they had low testosterone. You know, so correlation, so, not cause. Right, exactly. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm saying is, so my whole point saying is, no, 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 no. Let, let are me, gay. no, let me. Are that women. was Jim. Are, are, <laughs> no, what what I'm saying is is that low T. I don't think that the diet has has near of a. You could you could take any of us in this place and feed you estrogen. You're not going to become feminized. You're just not. You're just going to get boobs. Right, but you're not going to change. You're not going to. My boobs are argument. feminized. You're, you're not going to. You're not going to change into a, a soy boy. That is a cultural thing. That is not a, a diet-derived thing. So that that's my point with making that. I wasn't trying to say that beer causes soy boys. I think that soy boys are soy boys because they were socialized that way. How much? How many of us brought soy to eat on a scampo? Not me. Milk? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> so it may be that people choose soy because they've been uh, culturalized to it. I mean, you see a well, lot more people getting into uh, being vegetarians. Yeah. And vegetarians and tend to want to eat soy. So maybe it's a cultural thing that causes them to eat something. That okay, I'm going to troll every single millennial right now. <laughs> the reason you can't afford a house is because you eat too many goddamn avocados. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, and they drink the IPAs. Well, right, but no, the, there was this article. We I think we've already talked yeah. about this, but anyway, this Australian businessman said that. The reason millennials can't afford anything is they eat too much damn avocado toast. <laughs> but, I but, saw uh, that the other day. Yeah, yeah I know that hilarious. that was awesome. And you, you, if you say that, they just flip out. Well, but the, the truth is that they can't afford a house, and that's why they eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they eat extravagantly, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's too, just a different they, generation. I mean, you look at the you look at what's going on in the in the um, microbrew market right now. I mean, it's freaking microbreweries are popping up all over, and they're doing pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Can, can you think of one that's closed recently? No, they, they're all booming. It's apparently it's pretty profitable to serve high estrogen beer. Jeez. <laughs> now you're you're gonna fixate on that. I, again, that wasn't the point I was making. I know. Yeah. But I know, but it is funny. But though. that's the point you made. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the yeah, way Jim took it. You did not know it, but that's the way my ignorant ass took it. <laughs> right, but yeah, my my point was is if you're going to worry about estrogen in your diet, don't worry about the soy. Worry about the hops. Yeah. But anyway, it's and if you want to write for BuzzFeed, <laughs> eat lots. Lower, lower your testosterone to a hundred year old. <laughs> I I think it's correlation, not causation. Um, but anyway, uh, any any parting thoughts? We're up, we're pushing two hours here. Um, get out and do stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. go out on a winter campout like yeah, this. And yeah, go out on a winter campout. Bring a bunch of your friends. Yeah. Don't bring any IPAs. Yeah. <laughs> drink <laughs> real <laughs> booze, <laughs> scotch. <laughs> drink scotch. 
Sharp knives. Sharp knives. Yeah. yeah. Guns. The gun of your choice. Yeah. Yeah. Talk oh, about. what what does everybody have for a firearm? I know everybody here is armed. What do you have? I got a Glock 43 and a Glock 19. Nice. Uh, Smith and Wesson. Little 38 special. J frame. Yes. Yep. Smith and Wesson bodyguard. Nice. 380. I have a Smith and Wesson model 19357 and a Smith and Wesson 442 38. Nice. I have a 19, a 43 Glock. I have a, uh, <laughs> I have a Smith and Wesson 65 that was tuned up by Magnaport nice. with a three-inch barrel, bobbed hammer, pretty sweet. And then I've got a, uh, I saw a Henry rifle, rifle Henry yeah. 22 rifle. And in the second pack. Yeah, in the second pack, actually. And and if you haven't shot a Henry rifle yet, get out there and try one. They're really actually nice, an American-made rifle. They're all, they're really, really well put together, and they shoot really well. And they're slick. Their actions are really good. And a little bit on the pricey side, but they're they're a, they're worth a pen, every penny of it. And I have a an FN 5.7 and a Glock 43. And that's it. And that's it. Uh, so get out there. <laughs> Keep your friends sharp and your knife sharper. No, vice versa. Keep your knife sharp and your friend sharp. Bye.